Welcome in to episode one, season two of that one show, and we're coming in hot. We're doing the all-star fantasy supergroup draft. Me and two guests will be drafting a singer, guitarist, drummer, bassist, and a wild card. We'll get all into that in just a few moments, but first, let me introduce our co-commissioners of this draft. First up is... Charles Hurled, returning for season two. You may remember him from our Wilco episode last season. How are you today, Charles? I'm doing great. Uh, thanks for the invite, Brian. Uh, I'm happy to be here to uh, partake in this. It's going to be a lot of fun. And our other commissioner making his debut here on the show, one of my oldest and best friends, Chase Abner. We have been friends since, I guess, circa 1993, if memory serves me correct we had every class together in seventh grade and it's been a great long road since how are you today chase i'm doing good man long time listener first time caller (laughs) all right so basically what we are doing today is compiling what we consider a our dream super group we will have five positions in which we are drafting compiling this band we will each pick a singer lead guitarist, drummer, bassist, and wild card. And for the wild card, it will be a musician that plays any other instrument other than guitar, drummer, or bassist. For example, keyboards, cello, whatever you want to do there, accordion. I mean, that's why it's called wild card. Once a musician is selected by one of us, they are off the table, and they cannot be picked by the other two. And any musician is eligible, alive or dead. And since this is a fantasy draft, Whatever musician you are picking will pretend that they are at the peak of their powers for for this particular exercise. Uh, Do either of you all have any questions before we get rolling? No, sir. Ready to rock. Ready to show you what's up. Awesome. Okay, so we will take a very, very brief break, like 10 seconds. We'll come back, go over the order of the draft, and we'll get right into the selection. Okay, we are back, and we had a random draw to make it as far as possible to see who picks when. It's going to be a snake-style draft. I don't know if any of our listeners has ever took part in a fantasy baseball or football draft, but it's pretty much the same thing. And for round one, Chase will be kicking us off. And one more quick thing, you can pick anybody at any position. You are not beholden to pick a singer or guitarist first. If you want to go wild card first, have at it. That being said, I'm going to turn it over to Chase, and we will begin this draft. All right, fellas. Uh, my musical tastes are pretty broad. Some people have called it schizophrenic, but I think that might be a little offensive to those who suffer for said uh, mental illness. So we'll just have a very eclectic taste. And I knew trying to build a band uh, from my favorites from – all the, the artists I like to listen to would be nearly impossible. So I, I made myself some extra rules, Brian. I hope that's okay. That's, so that's fine. Here, here's my here's my approach. I said I'm going to build a folk rock band specifically. So the choices I'm making are to support that genre. And uh, another rule is it must include at least one woman in the band. Uh, and I can only use living musicians. So that cut off a lot of strong uh, contenders, but helped hone me in a little bit. And I can't have more than one musician from, like, a band. I couldn't pick two people from the same band. So 
And I know folk rock is a pretty broad category. If you just Google folk rock bands, you'll get everything from Bob Dylan to Mumford & Son to even Neil Young and Crazy Horse, and there's a lot of ground to cover there. So I also try to pick artists that were had a lot of range, even within that, could do country and even some of the heavier blues-based rocking kind of stuff in the folk rock category. So without further ado, I'll announce that my first round draft pick is for a singer, and I pick Brandy Carlisle. Okay, Brandy Carlisle, number one overall pick. And Chase, go ahead and talk a little bit about Brandy Carlisle, why you like her, and why you use the number one overall pick in this draft on her. Well, I, Brian, I know that you are also a fan of Brandy Carlisle and appreciate her voice, and so I, I just thought I wanted to pick something that maybe uh, I made. I wanted to make sure I got that pick into my into my band, and so the reason I like her is she uh, she's garnered a deep following for about 20 years, but has only gotten critical acclaim and mainstream exposure probably in the last seven or so years. Um, and, you know, as usual, critics often sleep on good artists, and the mainstream also sleep on, often sleep on good, good talent. And as proof of that, if you just look at the artists who showed up to cover on the 10th anniversary of her album, The Story, oh, yeah. uh, Pearl Jam, Dolly Parton, Jim James, the Avett Brothers, and more. And Adele. So, Adele, yeah. So, <laughs> so big timers love her her music and have for a while. So uh, I didn't really catch wind of her until her album 2015, uh, which was the Firewatcher's Daughter, which really caught me about her, and I, I got into her at that point. And I've been since then I've been impressed again and again by her songwriting. But again, for the purpose of this draft, it's her dynamic voice that really got me. So she can sing tender, but she can also well with the best of them. So much so that Soundgarden tapped her to do a couple of covers of their songs mm -hmm. in place of uh, the late Chris Cornell. So she can she can handle a lot, a lot of range, uh, great voice, and obviously she brings other talents to any uh, folk rock band. So I'm, I feel good about that pick. Uh, I'll go first, adding my thoughts very briefly about Brandy Carlisle. Uh, uh, the Firewatcher's Daughter was the album that introduced me to her, and specifically her cover of Avon Brothers' Murder in the City on that album was the first thing I ever remember hearing from her, and I just went from there. By the Way, I Forgive You, which I think was the follow-up to that album, uh, was my favorite album the year it was released. And you mentioned her cover of the Soundgarden songs. Uh, one of my prized possessions as far as my vinyl collecting is a limited edition uh, vinyl version of that that was released in independent record stores on record store day and was very hard to come by and uh, for purposes of staying married I will not say how much I gave for that particular record <laughs> uh, but that is a great pick Chase a uh, very diverse singer she is off the board Charles do you have anything to say about Miss Brandy Carlisle uh, just based on what you guys have said I mean she's obviously a brilliant singer songwriter guitar player choice i mean I, I look forward to seeing who chase pairs with miss carlisle but uh she's i think a great leader for any uh, fantasy band uh before we move on chase uh do you have a particular song by brandy that you would like for our audience to hear a bit of i think i'll go with one of my personal favorites which is from by the way i forgive you the opening track every time i hear that song okay We'll play a little bit uh, from that, and then we'll get back with the next pick. Unhappy only makes it break again. By the way, I forgive you. After 
Slave 2, some solo albums. Uh, just from some background on Chris Cornell, he was ranked the number one rock singer of all time by Guitar World and number nine vocalist any genre by Rolling Stone. 18 Grammy nominations and several wins. And he is so versatile. He can go hard, he can go soft, and everything in between. And I have a specific style of a band that I am compiling here today and i've probably tipped my hand at what it is and that is probably a little bit more harder rock not necessarily grunge per se but we're going to go a little hard and we i forgot to mention we're each at the very end going to pick any song that's been ever released for our band to cover and that's actually what i came up with first and built my band around that song but we'll get to that so i will go to my right i know charles you're a big cornell fan what are your thoughts on chris cornell pick um i actually i mean if i was going to go like with favorite singer ever he's in that conversation so he didn't make my list for this particular task just because like chase was talking about in the beginning you know sort of laying some ground rules i was trying to find uh creatives that i wanted to hear together and he he, you could put him with just about anybody. It's gonna, it's gonna sound good because he was just that talented of a singer and songwriter. I think sometimes people focus more on his singing than his songwriting, but he was excellent, top notch in both. Great choice. Chase, what are your thoughts? Uh, obviously, I'm a big fan as well. Counted as one of my life's greatest regrets that I never got to see him perform. I echo that. I've <laughs> said that. Person. I've gotten that question. What band that you never got to see? That did you most want? Would you have most wanted to see? And sounds like John. That they're number one for me, and it's not yeah. even close. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they're up there. Uh, you guys will skin me. I had tickets to see them in 2013, and ended up not going. And in exchange for being going to a work meeting, uh, so I'm gonna <laughs> kick myself forever. Uh, but I also never had a seat. Job you had. <laughs> it was a, it was an okay meeting, but uh, uh, yeah. And right, right below that, I regret never seeing Tom Petty personally. But yeah, Chris Cornell's a great choice, Brian, and I just can't wait to hear who else you put on that lineup. Yeah, and I'll say other thing. If if someone's a casual listener and I only know him maybe from his work with Soundgarden, and then later with Audio Slave, listen to some of the stuff he did, especially live and acoustic and solo. Uh, it's a little bit more softer side. He does some covers. He also rearranges some of uh, his catalog music from Audio Slave and also Soundgarden there. But I'm going to go ahead and play not one from Soundgarden, but his time with Audio Slave. This is a little bit of. Does it remind me? And then we'll get with Charles's pick for round one. Doesn't remind me of anything. I like hammering nails and speaking in tongues. Doesn't remind me of anything. 
back, and it is time for Charles to pick his number one draft pick in round one. Who are you selecting, Charles? All right, because of the rules of this particular exercise, we know both vocalists are off the table, so that means I'm good. I can pick from anybody I've got here. So a little strategy coming in that's already. A little strategy. So I'm going to flip the script here. I'm going to go with my guitar pick, and I. I don't imagine you guys have this gentleman on the list, and I also sort of telegraph this pick because of the shirt I'm wearing. My guitar pick is Mick Jones from Clutch. Let the let the listener know that Charles is wearing a Rock the Casbah shirt That's from correct. the Clash. That's correct. <laughs> well, Chase has a Wilco shirt on, so I'm wondering <laughs> if anybody from Wilco is going to get drafted tonight. Yeah, uh, listen, Mick Jones was. Uh, driving forces of the clash uh the clash influenced uh brian chase have both read the book like i have one of my favorites mr jeff tweedy uh and i i sort of came to the clash late later in life uh, mm-hmm. i did like a year-long deep dive where i felt like i listened to the clash about every day just a few years ago but i think mick jones is a great uh talent singer songwriter and not only was he just was he known for the clash he left the clash uh, well, he got fired from the Clash. Let me back up. His own band, in his words, and he went ahead and started uh, Big Audio Dynamite, which I'm not as big of a fan of. But I appreciate any musician that has that level of success, and they don't let you know uh, insouciance set in and uh, just stall them. They still have creative ideas and energy, and Mr. Jones has proven that. And you know, listen, I'm gonna end it on a happy note. Before Joe Strummer passed away, I think, uh, they patched things up and they were actually writing and recording music for a next Clash album that never came to be. But I thought that was kind of neat, too. And I've got nothing but respect for him. And I, I will say this. This is my first pick of the draft. I want to hear him with these other talents. That's why I went with Mick Jones. All right. Uh, Chase, do you have anything to add? about Mick Jones and The Clash? Uh, I'm admittedly not super familiar with The Clash, though at Charles's, well, just as I've heard Charles talk about them over the years, it gave me a lot more interest, and so in the last couple of years, I've spent more time with their album streaming and uh, uh, have become more of a fan and learned to appreciate them in ways that I, I just didn't previously. So, uh, again, I think it's a, it's a sleeper pick. I don't think either Brian or I would have had that on our list, so it's very interesting to me, and again, it's just wet my yeah, I, I actually echo both of those sentiments, Chase. Uh, I've always just been a casual listener of The Clash, never a huge fan. That's, but that's on me. They are a great band, and like Charles said, they they have influenced a lot of artists that I really, really like, like uh, Jeff Tweedy and Wilco. It is an interesting pick. It's someone I never even thought of, to be quite honest with you, but uh, I'm interested to see who Charles builds around his guitarist for his band. And before we move on, Charles, do you have a particular song that you would like for us to play for our audience. I do, and I just uh, decided on it like in the last two minutes. That song would be a song uh, sung and written by Mick Jones from The Clash's second album, Give Them Enough Rope. The title of that song is Stay Free. Okay. Well 
We are back and ready for round two. I do have the first pick in this round, and I'm going to go drummer, and I'm going to go Mr. Dave Grohl. Uh, obviously, probably needs no introduction, but he uh, actually started out with a band called Scream, but then famously moved on to Nirvana, was the drummer on their second and third albums, as well as their unplugged album, and he has also drummed with Queens of the Stone Age and has guest spots on many others. Uh, he was ranked only the number 27th greatest drummer of all time by Rolling Stone, and I would be hard-pressed to find uh, 26 drummers better than him. Uh, he's not necessarily the greatest drummer of all time, but for what I'm trying to build today, he was probably the best fit. Uh, 41 Grammy nominations and 18 wins. Some of his most famous songs are obviously those with Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit Right Out of the Gate, uh, he actually, one of my favorite drumming of his was a guest spot on a Tenacious D song called The Metal. Uh, Charles, what are your thoughts on Dave Grohl? Uh, a modern legend. Uh, listen, he was a drummer on some all-time great tracks. He was the drummer on Nevermind, one of the greatest albums ever recorded. Uh, he created Foo Fighters, kind of like what I just said about Mick Jones. He didn't just give up, you know, he still had things he wanted to say, things he wanted to do, and he created a, a massive machine in Foo Fighters, and to see that band's growth from, and Chase and I have talked about this before, from that first recording where he played everything. Every, all instruments. All instruments, so what they became, what they have become, and what I hope they will do for several years ahead. Uh, that's a great choice for drummer. Uh, Chase, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I would say beyond just the musicality uh, that Dave Grohl brings to the band, uh, he brings some other things that are very important to the type of band that you're building, Brian, because he brings the swagger and the fun that I think are an essential part of a good, you know, all-American rock band. I, I'm, maybe you're not all-American, but, but that, bring, that that he'll bring to that rock band. I mean, he just he brings the attitude. He, uh, he has a lot of fun when he makes music, and that's evident if you ever get to see him play live or look at videos on YouTube that he just has a blast doing what he's doing yeah. and it makes it a lot of fun to watch. That comes through in his memoirs. Mm, absolutely. I mean, every, yeah. every page, every chapter of that book, I think it's evident how much he enjoys the everything that he's been doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it talks of when he was in Scream, you know, uh, riding around in a van with no seats, or and he was very young for those that don't know, still yeah. still a teenager, yeah, not even right. of age yet. Basically, Had... just living in squalor, <laughs> yeah. sleeping on like these stages and these dives where they were going to play. Yeah, have have any of you all listened to like the really long, just instrumentalist track called "Play" that he did a few years back? I highly recommend both of you all listen to that. It's like maybe like 20-some minutes, and it's just nonstop drumming. Hmm. And uh, it's basically a 20-some minute drum solo with a little bit of other instrumentation that he did himself. No lyrics. It's all instrumental. And anybody out there listening, uh, check that out. And before we move on, I'd be remiss if we didn't mention another great drummer in the past, Taylor Hawkins, which think about the shoes he had to feel drumming for Dave Grohl's band. And he did it, and he did it great, in my opinion. And, Charles, you mentioned Dave's memoir. I read that a few months ago, and extensively he talks about Taylor and that, and you could just feel the love coming from the page that he had for him. And there's no doubt that he considered him a brother. I mean, they 
drove cross country, uh, just in between tours, just those two one year. Uh, and, you know, that's a, that's a great loss, not just for that band, but Taylor's family and, and anybody that enjoys music. Uh, and it's a hard transition away from that, but, and it's also cliche for me to pick this song, but I mean, it's one of the most recognizable drum beats of not just probably the last 30 years, but music history. Smells like Teen Spirit. in round two, which belongs to Charles. Take it away. All right. So round two, I am going to use a little more strategy since the vocalists are off the table, and I know I'm pretty safe in that. Brian just picked a heavy hitter for drummer. Chase could pick my drummer, but I think he's, he's based on his ground rules. He's probably not going to pick this gentleman, but I'm going to go ahead and lock it in. My pick for drummer of this super group, Jimmy Chamberlain mm. from Smashing Pumpkins. Mm. And I'm going to mention this. Why did, what put him over the top, I think? Well, I actually got to see him play live in 2018. Chase was at the same show in Louisville at the Yum Center. And I think as far as just watching a drummer, I think that's the most impressed I've ever been seeing somebody live with my own eyes. He's an incredible player. He's been able to endure Billy Corgan for decades. <laughs> he has but, been one of the one constants through Billy's career. Yeah, but, you know, he, in all seriousness, he is a superb drummer. Mm -hmm. He's just great. I, and I think, obviously, you guys can probably tell I'm going more for, like, a hard rock edge here. But he, I think he could... I think he could play any style of music. I think he's that good. And that's really what I'm looking for. You know, I was thinking in my head this morning before we this, before we showed up to record this episode, musical dexterity. That's what I was looking for mm -hmm. in these picks. And I think Jimmy Chamberlain is just a top-level drummer, and I wanted him in this group. Yeah, no doubt. He, he brings, like, the thunder and the heaviness of, say, a John Bonham. But then the finesse and just technicality of like a Neil Peart or Peart, however you say it from Rush. And so he can yep. do all of that. He's versatile, like you said. And, um, you know, you guys know I've been playing some music lately. And uh, I'm in a grunge cover band or 90s alternative cover band. And uh, our drummer was both very excited to do Smashing Pumpkins covers and very intimidated because there's just so much physicality in the songs that we're doing. Uh, but great pick. Absolutely. You know, all three of us are obviously grew up in the era of the Smashing Pumpkins at their peak. Am I crazy or did Jimmy not start out playing jazz on drums? Am I, or am I, I'm just totally off the wall. It seems like I've read that and he transitioned over to rock. I think, I, I think I've read that. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, he struggled, I think, with some addiction issues. And I know he's talked about 
you know, I, I mean, I made the joke about Billy Corgan, and he's, you know, he's sort of famously difficult, and he's had a lot of beefs in the music industry with other artists even, but he's given Billy a lot of credit for saving his life mm -hmm. and keeping him on the path. I mean, I don't think the guy ever lost his passion for music, but obviously there was a time there where Billy Corgan himself was, was kind of wandering in the wilderness after Smashing Pumpkins disbanded in, what was it, 2002, I believe. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they were able to come back together and make music and do the things that they love together, what they are best at, I think is a wonderful thing. And we were, we were very fortunate when they announced that tour. We were like, we missed seeing them when we were teenagers, but we were not going to miss that opportunity. They were coming to Kentucky where we live, and we were there, and we got to experience that together. And it was just a great weekend in mm -hmm. Louisville seeing that show. And they were, they were a great live band, just like I knew they would be. I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried several times during that concert <laughs> just because of the, the just beauty of the moment and who I was with and who I was singing with. Absolutely. Uh, Charles, do you have, what particular song would you like for us to play for our uh, listeners to represent Mr. Chamberlain's talents? I've I got to confess something. I, I didn't think about this question necessarily in anticipation of the show, but I'm going to throw a little... Uh, add out for Chase's cover band, I think. I think this would be a good one. Uh, I think there's some really amazing drumming on it. Chase is in a cover band uh, called November Hotel. Go check them out. Great on, name, by the way. Great name on Instagram, Twitter, all social media, Facebook. They, he was telling me last night, they were going to be covering a Smashing Pumpkin song from their classic album, Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Track number two on disc two, a song called Bodies. Great pick. Great pick. Here we go. We are back with the final pick in the second round, which belongs to Mr. Chase Abner. Who are you going with, Chase? All right. Uh, you know, I think because of the focus of my picks, I'm, I'm not too worried about you guys getting any of the rest of my, my band members. Um, it's a little bit quirky. Um, but with that said, I'm going to pick my guitar player next for my second round pick. And... Listeners of that one show probably need very little introduction to this player. His name is Jason Isbell. Mm. I like that pick, especially paired with uh, with who you picked the singer. Yeah, yeah. And, and most you know casual Americana and alt country fans know him mostly as a singer and songwriter and as the vocalist or frontman of the 400 Unit. But he actually says of himself that he always thinks of himself first as a guitar player, which he's been doing since he was a young boy. And uh, you know, if he were ever to decide to stop singing. He would easily be qualified to play lead guitar in about any band in the world. Uh, he has Sadler Vaden uh, handling the, some of the solos with the 400 unit, uh, but they split about 50-50 live on solos, and so he's got the chops, uh, and he's a good follow on Instagram, uh, if for no other reason to see his post where he's in his shop piddling and practicing on his vintage gear. So he's a maestro on the electric. He's great out the acoustic. 
He can blister solo. He can finger pick a delicate ballad. Uh, plus, in this super group, he'll be handling uh, you know some some harmony vocals and stuff from time to time. And so, uh, he is my pick for guitar player. It's an excellent pick. He's one of my favorite uh, musicians of the last several years, going all the way back to his work with Drive By Truckers. Uh, obviously, my listeners are probably well versed in Jason Isbell. Uh, you know, he he you know obviously had a problem with alcohol. And the drive-by truckers are not like a, uh, <laughs> a Puritan band by any means, but if you get kicked out of that band for your drinking, you know it's bad. <laughs> uh, thankfully, he was able to get sober, and he's done some solo stuff as well as assembling his band, the 400 Unit. And I kind of consider him and the 400 Unit this era's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I know that's high praise, but uh, they are very similar to me in which they have a great songwriter, guitarist and singer at the front but also excellent musicians behind him so great pick uh chase do you have anything to add about jason isabel charles no i've got to confess i know very little about jason isabel. well, well you, I, need, I, you need to get on that man. i'll have to i'll have to depend on you guys to introduce me to it a little deeper i have heard jason isabel he certainly gets played on uh, serious xm uh, quite a lot he's certainly highly respected as are the drive-by truckers um Listen, I've just gotten old, and I've reached middle age, and I only have so much time. And I mean, you can't do your long flash dive, deep dives, and have time to listen to everything you probably should be listening to. So maybe eventually, but I, I unfortunately don't have the deep knowledge of Jason Isbell and the 400 Unit. We need to make him a playlist, Brian. Yeah, uh, we're going to have to start. I'll, I'll say this. Um, you know, you're talking about how he assembled the 400 Unit, and they're a, they're a fantastic band. Uh, for sure, and probably un- undersung in terms of their skill, the people backing him. Um, and honestly, picking him was kind of hard because it meant I couldn't pick Jimbo Hart for bass. Uh, Jimbo Hart is a great bass player and uh, even a producer in his own right. He's probably one of my favorite Americana bassists of all time. Just very tasty. Uh, yeah, just tasteful even, like in how he serves the song and doesn't overplay, but can certainly riff when he needs to. But uh, Brian, I think... You know, we could play a lot of the acoustic finger-picky kind of stuff that Jason Isbell could do, but in order to show off kind of the way he can blister a lead, I'd love for you to play a, a part of Flying Over Water from his solo album, Southeast. You've got it. Here it is. rounds one and two all of us have two picks on the board three picks remaining each but before that we'll take care of some business and play a commercial and pay some bills but we'll be back in less than one minute with round three of the fantasy supergroup draft we're back we're kicking off round three and with the first pick in round three is charles go ahead sir all right, so I, once again, going to use a little strategy. Uh, all the base slots are open on the 
the board right now. So I, I don't think you guys probably are going to pick this person, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and take this individual. Uh, another uh, sort of like with my Mick Jones pick, someone who has been in two bands, was in a very successful, highly influential band, left that band, started another band, and has been active for many years. So for bass player, and I've labored over this one more than any, not my favorite bass player. I mean, I could pick somebody like Flea, it would be, that would be easy, right? I didn't do that. So my bass player is Tim Deal mm. from the Pixies and the Breeders. Uh, and why did I pick her? I, she started in music at a pretty young age, I think. I think she was, if I remember right, was a guitar player primarily and answered an ad, I think, to join the Pixies. Didn't know Jack about playing the bass, but she grew into a really good bass player. Very, very talented. And, you know, was on some classic all-time albums that the Pixies put out between, what, 87 and 91, I think, like five albums there. And regrouped with them later. But in the meantime, you know, she had her other band that she started and she got to sort of direct and call the shots and be the front. I'm, uh, Frank Black has credited her for her input into the Pixies and what she did. And, I mean, another thing I will mention uh, kind of like what Chase was saying about Jason Isbell pairing up with Randy Carlisle. She can be a vocalist, too. She's a great singer. Listen to the Pixies tracks, uh, Gigantic or Into the White. And then, of course, you can turn on Sirius XM Lithium right now and probably hear the Breeders' Cannonball, which I think was their, first, was their seminal hit. But I, I wanted to, I, I imagined her playing with these other people, like a rhythm section, Tim Deal and Jenny Chamberlain. That's just too delicious to pass up. So that's that's my pick. Again, the singers are off the table. A little strategy here, but Kim Deal, bassist in this super group. Chase, you have some thoughts on Kim Deal and her work with uh, the Pixies and the Breeders? I'm newer to uh, the Pixies catalog in the last handful of years. Uh, they were on a tour with the Weezers, and I saw them yep. uh, several years back, and I said, "Well, I need to I need to know more than Where Is My Mind and uh, Monkey Gone to Heaven." So. <laughs> I started streaming all their older stuff and, uh, uh, yeah, developed quite a bit of a taste. And we actually cover some Pixies in, in my, my uh, cover band, November Hotel. So uh, I'm learning more and more. Uh, I'll say when I saw them, the Pixies, Poslin Shanton was playing bass for them. And she obviously was in uh, Juan with Billy Corgan and then also played in the Perfect Circle. But anyway, I'm knowing she's playing the parts and singing the parts that Tim Dill defined, you know, for that band and that sound. Good choice, very interesting. I love where this is going. Excellent choice, and this is the first one that I had on my list of three that's been picked by either of you all. So, uh, well done, Charles, and I'm glad you mentioned Gigantic because she's not only just laying some excellent bass lines down on that song, she is very good on vocals on that as well. And Chase, I saw the Pixies and Weezer on that same tour uh, and loved, loved the show. Uh and I just can't say enough about that pick, Charles. It's the first one off of my board that has been picked, so I'm going to have to look at my couple other choices of basis here before before I get to that pick. But, Charles, without further ado, do you have a specific song you would like for us to feature Kim Deal's talents on bass? Listen, I can't make any better suggestion than Gigantic. 
but I'll also throw this out there just from a personal uh, revelatory standpoint. Uh, when my wife and I started dating 10 years ago, I remember I had the wave of mutilation, best of the pixies compilation in the car playing it, and I you know, was telling her a little bit about the pixies. She wasn't familiar with the band, and of course she's become a fan now, but she really gravitated toward that song, Gigantic. And I think, again, Kim Bill's just a powerhouse on that track. The bass line and her vocals, it's a great song, so let's play it. Uh, before we get to that, I've got a long-time friend and listener of this podcast by the name of John Thompson. And I have to say that he had a poster of Miss Kim Deal on his wall all throughout our adolescence from about really? eighth grade on and had the hugest crush on her <laughs> all the way throughout the 90s. So I'm sure he will love this pick. And here she is with the Pixies and Gigantic. What a gas it was to see him Walk her every day into a shady with her lips she said Hey Polly, 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 let's have a ball Hey Polly, 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 let's have a ball Hey Polly, 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 let's have a ball We're back. Second pick in round three, which belongs to Chase. Go ahead. I'm going to lock my drummer in. Uh, this is a drummer I, I know, Brian, you're a fan of and probably, probably getting familiar with him, but Griffin Goldsmith from Dawes. Mm. So, uh, I, yeah, your listeners are probably somewhat familiar with Dawes because they're in that folk rock Americana world. Griffin's really young. He started playing when he was like 18 or 19 with Dawes, and, um, but he's been tutored in drums by greats like James Gadsden. Uh, so he has a high, high pedigree when it comes to his chops, and he's well-respected among drummers. My personal, the, my favorite drummer that I know, uh, a guy named Bennett Ford, who I've played with in a few different contexts, he says Griffin is his favorite drummer, and so that means a lot to me. It just creates deep, deep pockets, especially with the Dawes bass player, Wiley Gelber. Um, some have called him a modern-day Levon Helm because he's a great vocalist as well. Uh, probably... Uh, not known well enough, but he sings lead on a couple Dawes tracks. Uh, you know, he has he sings a verse on "Hey Lover" uh, from uh, from that album, and then uh, a song called "Roll Tide," which was on uh, what was that album, Brian? The uh, after all your favorite bands, my, oh, we're all gonna die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah from uh, we're all gonna die. So he's a great singer. Honestly, I wish he would sing more in that band or do a solo project. But but just love love his drumming. Uh, good and interesting pick. I didn't even think about him, but uh, great pick, and I I love what you've got so far. Uh, I will say that the members of Dawes, all members of Dawes, were on my short list of people, but but that's why I gave myself the rule that I can't have more than one from from the same band. So he won. I feel like he shines the most in his respective role in that band. Absolutely, and uh, actually, I I have to have you to thank to. For introducing me to Dawes, I had never really considered listening to them up until probably about six years ago when uh, you suggested them, and I've been a fan ever since. Uh, Charles, you have anything to add about Dawes before we move on? Well, I got to give Chase credit for this. I think he's the one that introduced me to Dawes, and we—I've certainly you hear them on Sirius XM pretty often, 
Uh, but Chase, I got to give him the credit. Uh, he actually hooked me up with the Passwords album. I've listened to it several times. It's really good, even though he tells me there's better albums. Mm-hmm. And I've heard certainly <laughs> Daw songs that are that are excellent. Uh, those guys all have the chops. They're all great at what they do. They're they're a solid band. Uh, which and anybody would be fortunate to have Griffin on the drums playing. That's that's my take on that. Yeah, and b- before we move on and get to uh, Chase's pick for the song that he would like played to represent Griffin and uh, Dawes, I'm, I gotta say I'm very psyched for their album coming out. Uh, a lot of times I don't even listen to singles that's released ahead of time, but I did for the first one because it was just nine minutes and something, <laughs> and I was like, well, I gotta hear this, and mm-hmm. this is, I said, here we go. This, uh, and I, it's one of my most anticipated albums of the year that still be released. But uh, Chase, what would you like for us to play for our listeners to represent Dawes and Griffin? Yeah, I Goldsmith. I certainly fell in love with Dawes and their song, their songwriting, and just their recordings. But when I saw them live, they became a different band to me. And fortunately, they have released a good number of live recordings. And so, uh, I'm going to recommend uh, that you play from the right angle. From their live album, We're All Gonna Live. We're All Gonna Live. We're All Gonna Live. Live. (laughs) Okay, here we go. stage later and performs her one song he, he, song. he will be naked like he was at Woodstock 99 <laughs> he, he didn't have, if y'all have watched the Woodstock documentary on uh, HBO Max uh, you see a lot more flea than you probably ever will want to mm-hmm. and uh, so I'll just have him out buck ass naked playing, <laughs> playing bass for me here in a little bit but uh, I know both of you all are fans uh, have you, I know Chase has seen them live have you, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah the same show yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah. Yeah. The Californication tour in, what, 
what, April of 2000? Yeah. At Rupp Arena in yeah. Lexington. And I, I called them on the same tour, but later in Cincinnati with Chase. That's right. Riverbend? Yes. Yeah, that's right. With STP. Yep. And Fishbone. And yeah. Fishbone, which yeah. which will not be on my list <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, that Fishbone performance. I remember it being panned by you guys. Mm-hmm. Chase and I went and bought earplugs at the concession stand. They were so loud that I'm like, I don't want my ears to be crushed before the bands I came here to see yeah, hit the right. stage. I don't think I'd ever left during an artist performing until that moment. I'm like, it ain't worth it. But anyway, Flea, great choice, Brian. Like, he was obviously an inspiration to me when I picked up bass uh, back in high school. And the reason I bought a Fender Jazz bass, because that's primarily what Flea plays. And uh, honestly, I can't play anything like him. And uh, but <laughs> But he sure is fun to watch. And again, like Grohl. Your pick, pick on drums. He brings, he just brings the rock and roll. Like he just brings the attitude and the fun, and you know he just is always enjoying himself on stage. And there's nothing more fun than watching people enjoy themselves doing what they love to do. And it's addictive. It's inspiring. So I love the pick. Absolutely. And before I move on, I'll, I'll uh, briefly mention his memoir from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I know Chase. If you you've read it, have you, Charles? I've not. I've not read that. Uh, really, really good. And I think it's. And it basically just goes up until the point in which Chili Peppers formed. Yep. And supposedly he's working on a sequel about that time that I'm really looking forward to. And there is a plethora of songs that I could pick from the Chili Peppers to uh, display Flea's talents. But I think... Monks, pick it. <laughs> do it. Do it. It's a goofy song, but it's one of his best bass performances ever. Uh, I want to, but I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm actually going to pick one from Californication Around the World. been around for a long time he's really got his start in the 80s and, and kind of carved out a kind 
of a unique niche playing fretless electric bass on uh, hits like, uh, well, at least in Britain, hits for Paul Young, Wherever I Lay My Hat is My Home, uh, is one. And then, uh, man, he's played with everybody. He's played with Phil Collins. I, it's just, it just, he can do almost any genre of music. He did, a, most recently, uh, did a avant-garde jazz album with Blake Mills, uh, who, who's a, a, I guess a compadre to the Dawes community. They were in a band called Simon Dawes together before Dawes became its own thing. Um, he produced, I think, he, he, nobody's ever said it, but I'm pretty sure he produced uh, Rough and Rowdy Ways. He at least appeared on it as a guitar player, but they never named a producer, but I'm 90% sure it's Blake Wills. Anyway, that's who Pino Paladino, he lives in that world. He can do almost anything on the bass guitar, and he's probably my favorite bassist of all time when I think about his range and just how, how he's created various almost styles of bass playing. He can do upright bass. He can play electric bass. He can play fretless bass. So I love what he can bring to any super group. Charles, uh, you and I were both kind of shaking our head when Chase announced this pick. Like me, are you pretty pretty unfamiliar with this Pino Paladino? Chase, Chase just identified the trivia question that's going to cost me one day. <laughs> I would have totally lost if, if it ended on this. Uh, certainly recognize Rough and Rowdy Ways and, and some of the – Obviously, a lot of the acts that this gentleman has uh, played with, and uh, you know, as he so often does, Chase has given me somebody to go research, and so I will make note of this, and I will do so. Yeah, and I, you know, I don't have a lot to add, but I mean, you named some of the acts he has uh, played bass for over the years. And if you're able to pull off playing with Simon and Garfunkel and Nine Inch Nails, <laughs> I mean, you have to be like what Chase said and described this gentleman as very versatile. Because I, I can't think of two more uh, totally opposite groups other than Simon and Garfunkel and Nine Inch Nails. Uh, but Chase, what particular song do you have, and who was he backing on bass on this particular song? Uh, for our listeners that may be, like Charles and I, unfamiliar with Pino's talents. Oh, man, this is, this is really hard to pick one. Uh, but I think I'm going to go with one of his oldies, Wherever I Lay My Hat. That's my home by Paul Young. All righty. I'll be interested to hear this one myself. Wherever I lay my head, that's my home. Wherever I lay my head, oh, that's my home. Yeah, that's my home. Okay, it is my turn for my pick in round four. As I said just a while ago, the other two gentlemen have drafted their guitars, so I will save my pick for guitars for my last pick. So it is now time for me to take the first wild card of today's draft. Chase mentioned briefly when he began that he set some rules for himself, including he wanted to have at least one female. That was really one of the very few rules I set for myself as well because I just didn't want five white dudes up on the stage. So that being said, I am going to take someone who plays a stringed instrument. 
specifically the violin that got her star on YouTube, and her name is Lindsay Sterling. I don't know if either of you all are familiar with her, but get on YouTube or wherever you stream music and just type her name in. She is a fabulous violinist, uh, classical, and she can do rock, which is what I'm doing here. Her cover of Radioactive uh, is really good to show off some of her rock chops, some originals. Uh, Round Table Revival and Shatter Me. Uh, and I think that she, especially when I announce my song at the end, would absolutely kill it and mesh well with the band I'm building. Are either of you all familiar with her? Very vaguely, Brian. She uh, she came through town where I live in Ames uh, not too long ago, and so I started taking notice of her and um, saw that she was doing a collab with somebody. I couldn't quite remember who it was, but... Uh, but yeah, no, I looked at her videos, and she obviously is super-duper skilled and can really perform a, a lot of genres, um, so I think you made a good pick. Charles, do you know I her know at the, all? I know the name. I don't know the sound, though. But again, just like uh, with Chase's bassist pick, I think this is someone that merits further uh, discovery, and uh, hopefully the audience will be motivated just like, uh, just like I will be her out further because that's yeah i was i'm excited to hear about some artists that i know little about being brought out during this conversation that's that's what it's all about that's what makes it fun yeah and if 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 y'all are not familiar with her here is a little bit of her song round table revival which is to me is a great title for a song to be honest with you uh and then we'll move on to charles's pick to finish out round four So, I don't think this gentleman has probably ever played 
with any of these folks. He's a, he's a living musician. This goes back to my childhood. I remember listening to, and I know Brian's going to give me the side out here, but mainstream country in the early 90s. And this, this guy was in high demand. He's been in high demand ever since. He's put out 45 albums. I had to research exactly how many. I knew it was a lot. 45 albums. He's, he's worked with Yo-Yo Ma, Bella Fleck, Sam Bush, Chet Atkins, a lot of other talented instrumentalists. Um, and like I said, I, probably his mainstream success was in the early 90s. But his name is Mark O'Connor. He is a virtuoso fiddle player, I think primarily, but he also plays the violin, and I think I remember reading that he won awards maybe as a youth, uh, playing guitar and mandolin as well. Basically, he can play anything. He's one of those guys, uh, kind of like Chase's bass player, Brian's wild card pick. Maybe not a household name to most people, but he, he, he could do anything. He's a virtuoso. And so with that, I, I really, I landed on him again. I was just thinking back to my childhood and how blown away I was by the guy when I first heard him play. And I haven't kept up with his career, admittedly, again. I've reached middle age and you have less time to dig in and really listen to all the amazing stuff. He's also played a lot of classical music, too, for classical music fans. So if there's listeners of Brian's show that know classical music and are well, more well-versed than I, they, they may know more about Mark O'Connor than, than I do, but... I think he was from Texas. I believe that's where he kind of hails from. But or if you're going to play in Texas, you got to have a fiddle in the band. That's right. That's right. right. <laughs> and he's and he's a he's a top notch player though. And again, probably doesn't fit on first glance with these other folks. But I'd be interested to hear what how they can incorporate him into maybe something they decided to do. Uh I'll I'll be honest. I don't really have much to add because I'm not super familiar with Mark O'Connor. Uh, but I'm, you know, you've piqued my interest, uh, and I, uh, I'll definitely try to check him out over the weekend. Uh, Chase, are you familiar with Mark O'Connor? I am not, you know, I'm just judging by the names that you mentioned that he's played with, no doubt I've heard him play and didn't even know it was him, kind of like with Tino Palladino. So, uh, definitely somebody I get to dive into and get a fresh take on. I just pulled him up, or just searched uh, Mark O'Connor on Spotify and looking at a, a playlist that Spotify created beforehand, kind of a This Is Mark O'Connor, and he's played with the, the guys mentioned, artists mentioned before, and then also a lot of work he's done with Bella Fleck, who of course is just a virtuoso when it comes to string band music and, and bluegrass, all that good stuff. So very cool, and uh, I, I'm just really wishing I could hear all these musicians come together that you've picked, Charles, so good job. Uh, Charles, uh, what, do you have a particular song and uh, who's he with on this song? Okay. Um, I'm probably, I'm going to go with, I don't know, I don't think this was an obvious pick, but I guess if I was going to pick Mark O'Connor, this is the most obvious song I could cite, and i tell you what I remember about this. In the music video for this song, at the end of the video, he is riding a skateboard playing the fiddle. Oh, God. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. <laughs> I mean, I just imagine playing the fiddle as well as he does is, is incredibly hard to begin with, and he's riding a skateboard while he does it, making it look easy. And the song is, uh, I believe, I'm trying to remember the exact, I believe it's called The Devil Came Back to Georgia, and it's uh, Charlie Daniels' band. I think Travis Tritt, Marty Stewart, Mark O'Connor, 
and maybe some other guests. I can't remember exactly. It's been look, it's been thirty years, guys. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll find it. I'll scour the interwebs and I'll, I'll find it. The devil came back yeah, to Georgia. It's the sequel to the devil went down to Georgia. Gotcha. And it was he and Charlie Daniels kind of like dueling there. Awesome. Thank you for letting God's own word ring true. He said you can't be trusted. Yeah, so what you gonna do? Well, you get your fiddle, devil, if you think that you can win. Cause I beat you once, you old dog, and I can whip your butt again. John Brown's dream, the devil is red. We are back. We are nearing the home stretch. We each have one pick left in this final round five of the fantasy supergroup draft. I will begin. And uh, I'll be honest, if you'd have told me going in that I would use my last pick on my guitarist, I would not have believed you, but it's worked out that way. And it's funny, uh, when I announced my pick here, they, I would venture to say the, the average listener is probably going to be madder at us as a group on our guitarist picks than any other pick because the quote-unquote greats are none going to be picked. But we'll probably discuss those in our honorable mentions here in a little bit. Now, I said at the beginning that I wanted to do two things in compiling my band. A, obviously pick someone who plays their instruments uh, very well, but also blends in to the band I want to assemble and the song I want them to perform. That being said, my guitarist is Jack White. The White Stripes, his solo work, the raconteurs, the list goes on and on. Uh, my first exposure to the White Stripes was way back, probably in 2000, opening for the Rolling Stones hmm. in Columbus, Ohio, and they only got 30 minutes, and it was basically a 30-minute guitar solo by Mr. Jack White, and I immediately walked to the concession stand, uh, the merch table, and bought their CD that was available at that time. And he is one of my favorite, not just guitarists of, the, of, you know, the last 15, 20 years, but musician. I don't use this term lightly. I think he is a musical genius. And uh, he is an excellent guitarist as far as electric as acoustic, too. He has a double album of all acoustic recordings, both from some of his solo career and the White Stripes. I highly recommend you check that out. Uh and, you know, some of his songs, Lazarito, Steady As She Goes, Seven Nation Army, which is played at every ball game now, mm-hmm. uh, Icky Thump, it goes on and on. I know you all probably are both at least familiar with Jack White. Charles, uh, do you have anything to add? Well, I, I think, too, you know, as a producer, I mean, he can, he can do it all. He's multi-talented. Uh, harkening back to that one show's season finale, season one, one of the participants in the tournament, Loretta Lynn, produced the album White Band Lear Rose, mm. right? And, uh, you know, look, the guy's multifaceted, he's multi-talented. I'm personally not a, not really a huge fan, but, again, I get nothing but respect for what the guy has accomplished. And as a producer, as a, as a 
band-made, band member, solo artist. He's done a little bit of everything, and he's still going strong. So, yeah, that's a that's a great choice for him. Chase? Yeah, uh, Jack White is certainly up there when it comes to figures in the music world uh, who have done a lot to, um, I would say he, he's a he's a preservationist in some ways, both in the format of vinyl, but also just uh, roots music in general, the way he's elevated some artists that maybe were waning in their career and like gave them new life in many ways. And in fact, that's part of the reason why I bought tickets to see him play uh, on his solo tour coming up uh, close to me out in Des Moines in August in about a month. I'll get to see him play live for the first time. And so uh, I have to say, I think his work with the Rapid Tours is the best as far as my tastes are concerned. But, but yeah, I mean, Brian, you've just put together a very, very interesting lineup. And I think a lot of those folks, you know, are – are known for their live presence as much as anything. And so uh, I don't know if that was intentional on your part, but I'm, I'm really uh, excited about that. And, and it's hard for Jack White not to be the most uh, important thing on stage, I think, based on what I know about him. So uh, Chris Cornell will have to do his best to upstage Mr. White in terms of just presence on stage. Well, here's the thing. They're only doing one song, so I think he has enough humility in himself to, to not – you know, go too go go too crazy in a six seven minute song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also add that you know he's got his own record label, Third Man Records, that puts out a lot of good work, and it re releases some really cool stuff going all the way back to like nineteen twenties and thirties early blues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll, and he has a record store in Nashville by the same name that I I want to visit one day. And they do a lot of live recording straight to vinyl there that they release. Sometimes as an LP and sometimes as a 45. I have several uh, that he's produced over the years uh, right there on, you know, in Nashville at Third Man Records. And let me say, too, I mentioned briefly that I saw him open for the Rolling Stones. There were like 26-some thousand people there. And I'm certain that I was the only one that enjoyed that White Stripe set. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> uh and for my song that I want to play a little bit of is his solo on Icky Thump, which may be my favorite of uh, his guitar work. Okay, we're over to Charles with his last pick in this draft. Take it away. All right, round five. Final pick to finish off this band. I've been saving the singer for last since uh, uh, Chase and Brian uh, chose their singers in, in round one. I knew my pick was pretty secure. Um, this is Powerhouse, all-time great. 26 studio albums released, 128 singles multi-decade career unfortunately he's no longer with us to uh, gift us with the excellence that he did from 
the late 60s all the way to his death in 2016. That artist is David Bowie. And his album, uh, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, just celebrated its 50th anniversary. I saw uh, a, t a thread on Twitter just the other day where somebody was saying, you know, share your memories or your thoughts about this. And I th as he so often does, the author Neil Gaiman, uh, it's, or the question was, when did you first discover this album? And he said something about, it hooked me. It, he mentioned a relative or a friend had that album. And he said that it hooked him because it says it right in, right, right from the start. It's science fiction. Uh, and David Bowie, you know, he could have he uh, honed in on that aspect of his career. He could have done the glam rock thing and never went anywhere, but he didn't do that. He continuously reinvented himself. He continuously uh, produced excellent top-level music all the way through to the end of his life. I mean, he was recording an album knowing he was dying, and it was still just, it was one of the best albums of the year, probably one of the best albums of the decade. Uh, I considered several vocalists, but ultimately I kept coming back to David Bowie. I think he's one of the best of all time. I'd love to hear he and Kim Deal duet. I was thinking about that constantly while I was working on this. I would love to hear him sing with Mick Jones on the stage with him, Jimmy Chamberlain, pounding the drums, Mark O'Connor, pick whatever you want to play, dude, you're great with playing anything. Uh, I think, uh, you know, part of me in choosing Bowie, too, it's like I, I wanted to, even though he had a complete career, he had a complete life, there's a part of me that's like, I just wanted to hear one more album, one more song. And the last thing I'll say, uh, I think, if you go back and look who he who he picked for his bands, his, his backing bands. The guy had just an amazing knack. I mean, he was kind of, he was kind of like uh, the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, are to football. Like, they know how to build a team. Well, he knew how to build a group of eclectic musicians, and that's what made his albums great, too. He had, you know, he had uh, Mick Ronson playing guitar with him during his heyday. And, uh, you know, Steve Ray Vaughan played on... Uh, Let's, let's Dance, I think, famously. And I think, you know, Bowie just had that, that sense. And I think he, I think these other musicians are strong enough that they could, they could inhabit the stage with him. And he, I'd like to think that he would be honored to, to play with them as well. And so that's my final pick for the Dream Fantasy band that I, I wish I could hear. Great pick. Great lineup. Uh, Chase, do you have any thoughts on David Bowie? Well, David Bowie is one of greatest type of list, but I'm shamefully uh, unfamiliar with his catalog beyond just radio singles and things like that, and uh, you know, I feel like kind of embarrassed and ashamed that I haven't dove into his music more, because Charles is one of my best friends in the world, and he's so important to you, man, so I feel like I owe it to you as a friend to just learn more about uh, David Bowie, but uh, great group, great lineup, top to bottom, and, and really even more unique than I expected it to be, so good work. Great work, Charles. And I'll say briefly about David Bowie. Uh, actually, you and I, uh, before we started recording, was talking a little bit about him. And I told you my favorite album of his was Aladdin Sane, which actually doesn't really have quote-unquote hits on it. But as an album, is just such a great album, beginning to end. I uh, highly recommend that one to anybody out there that's maybe not 
uh, give that a chance or listen to it. And I'll have to, and, and you know, Dixie, who's been on this show several times, would uh, would be upset if I didn't mention The Labyrinth, which is her all-time favorite movie. And I'll be honest, he's good in that. And I was, you know, I was kind of sad that he, we didn't see him in a lot of stuff on screen other than that. The I mean, Prestige. Yeah. Check that one out. It's uh, uh, Nikolai Tesla. Yeah, but you know he he could have been an actor had he wanted oh, yeah. to. I think uh, he was just an artist, uh, for lack of a better word. And uh, that's a great pick, man. Uh, Creative dynamite. That's what he is. So, what song do you have for David Bowie? And please tell me it's "Dancing in the Street" by him and Mick Jagger. Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, I could I could tell you what I think about that song, but I, but I would wax on way too long. Uh, actually, I'll say real quick to the listeners that was the song that kept me from really exploring Bowie a lot sooner because that was the, one of the most cheesy things VH1 uh, unleashed on us, I think, back <laughs> in the whatever decade, late 80s, early 90s. But uh, as far as the song, I'm going to say this right now. It's the 50th anniversary, Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Go listen to the whole album, I would tell anybody. But if you're not, if you're not familiar with it, get familiar with it. It, it will be worth your time. But for the song, I'm going to go a little bit less obvious and a song that I really love off of his album, Flow, which I believe was released in 1977. And it's a song called Always Crashing in the Same Car. All right. Jasmine, I saw you giving Guys who I just sounded like white noise to me when I was a youngster, but as 
kind of began to play more music and appreciate music at different levels and, and got over just anything that was grungy from Seattle. I started widening my taste. And this guy, even in more recent years, has been one of those uh, players that just stands out to me as so impressive, so tasteful, and really able to just transcend uh, both the genre but just moments with the way that he's able to list songs and, and set a tone very, very well. And so that is my wild star pick, rounding out my uh, – my super folk rock group, Bruce Hornsby, on the keys. That's a really good pick. Uh, I like your band. I, I would love to hear this band. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, conceivably we could because I think all your people are still with us, right? They are. That's yeah. one of the rules I made for yeah. myself is they all have to be living musicians. Yeah. And uh, maybe one one day, at, like maybe at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame or something, when they do those all-star jams, we can maybe possibly get these people on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Bruce Hornsby, Charles? I thought that was a really smart pick, uh, someone I didn't think about and probably should have. Uh, I mean, gosh, anybody that's earned that level of respect, I mean, with his, with his peers and has been able to jump from one genre to the next. I mean, I can remember back in the 90s, uh, I think VH1 would occasionally play Bruce Hornsby music videos, and his music videos were not like, I don't know, like Peter Gabriel sledgehammer type <laughs> animation. It was like him sitting there playing a piano. Yep. And the guy was amazing. And you could see it. It's just like Shay said, at that point in my life, being like a, a teenager, I guess I was look, looking for something a little louder, aggressive, and more angsty. But... Yeah, I mean, Bruce Hornsby. I mean, I remember, actually, you mentioned this collaboration with Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I remember that. Because at the time, I remember thinking, like, wow, those are two acts I wouldn't have put together. But sometimes you can get some real magic. And, you know, that's that's really a good tie-in to this entire exercise. You know, and Bruce Hornsby, yeah, just a great pick because of all the people he's worked with and the, the different genre hopping that he has done. Well, and, I mean, the thing is, musically, he didn't have an edge. Go back and listen to the song, The Way It Is. The thing he's saying there, uh, first line, standing in line, marking time, waiting for the welfare dime because they can't buy a job. The man in the silk suit hurries by as he catches the poor old lady's eyes just for fun. He says, get a job, you know? And yeah. <laughs> the second verse, he's talking about the, the color barrier. He said, hey, little boy, you can't go where the others go because you don't look like they do. He said, hey, old man, how can you stand to think that way? Did you really think about it before you made the rules? And, I mean, there was a big edge there of being a, a voice for the oppressed and stuff. I just, you know, passed over because I thought the music was was boring. But certainly, you know, he brings a lot as a songwriter, as a vocalist. But of course, my choice here is primarily for him as the keys uh, player of my rock super group. I should come up. With, we should have had to come up with a name for our group. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. I, I don't know if you have more to that add. Would make my brain bleed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we will, just in a second, play a song of Chase's choice to represent Bruce Hornsby's talent, and we'll come back to wrap things up by doing a couple of honorable mentions as well as announcing the song that each of our bands are going to sing, so don't go anywhere. Uh, That being said, Chase, what would you like for us to play for our listeners by Mr. Bruce Hornsby? Yeah, so I conceive of this mostly as a live band. Live at the Ritz from uh, The Way It Is Tour, 1986-87, the song The Way It Is. You got it.
Okay, we have assembled our bands, and the only thing left to do is have them play a song for us in just a minute. But very briefly, we're going to each do an honorable mention. I almost picked at each position. Uh, Charles, go ahead and give us an honorable mention uh, at each position really quick, and uh, we'll go to Chase and then myself. Okay. So for vocalists, I actually had four alternatives to David Bowie, but just real quick, I'm going to mention one of those, and I I didn't think he quite fit with these other people, but I had Lane Staley written down, because for the last 20 years since he passed away, I've been wanting to hear another Lane Staley track, and I think he's one of the best vocalists that's ever walked this earth. Uh, for guitarists, I really only had one backup, sad to say, as many great guitarists as there are in the world. But I had Jimmy Page, totally boring pick, but he's a legend. Mm -hmm. He also could produce this album. I'd love to, I don't know if he ever played with Bowie or not, but in my mind, they played together. Uh, so anyway, uh, Jimmy Page was my backup there. Bass player, uh, yeah, this wasn't like, the, I'm right along the same page. I had uh, John Paul Jones. Uh, who was in a super group, as we know, in Crooked Vultures with Dave Grohl. Yeah. So I kind of steered clear of that. I was like, he's done the super group thing. Let's make this a little more fun. And, uh, again, I want to hear Ken Deal sing with David Bowie. Uh, and for drummer, probably my number two pick, I guess, I had a couple really close together, was Stephen Perkins, who is known from Jane's Addiction. And also, just real quick, I believe he played drums on the Nine Inch Nails track, I Do Not Want This, from the Downward Spiral, I believe. Somebody can fact check me on that one. But Stephen Perkins really, really talented. And I really didn't have a real solid wild card backup. I was kind of flying the seat of my pants on that one when I went with Mark O'Connor. I was like, Ryan Chase, I'm going to pick Mark O'Connor. And I took a gamble on that. But I would have came up with somebody. But I... You know, you guys picked two excellent wild card choices. So, so anyway, those are my honorable mentions. Good deal, Chase. Yeah, so uh, it was easiest for me to think of females to be in my band in the singer category, uh, to be honest. And, um, you know, there are a lot of great women instrumentalists out there, and I don't want to take anything away from them uh, for sure, but it's just been the, the way it is. They haven't gotten a lot of play, and so they're harder to know about. Um, so I respect the work you guys did to include some great, um, but one of my backup singers is, uh, the, uh, legendary Bonnie Raitt, mm, who, uh, yeah. has had just an amazing career and just really fits well in the blues Americana vocal category. And uh, of course has written some tremendous songs, but, um, I love what she does vocally and what she would do in this band. If for some reason, Brandy Carlisle <laughs> isn't able to make the gig, uh, drummers, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm the most ignorant on drums as far as all the instruments in this. I play bass, obviously. I play a little guitar. Everybody knows a little bit about singing and can hear and knows good singing when they hear it. But drumming, I just, I'm kind of ignorant. Um, but one of my favorite drummers, uh, living drummers, is Steve Jordan, who's played with tons of people. Uh, but I first encountered him as the drummer in the John Mayer trio alongside John Mayer and Pino Palladino, my bassist. And so knowing that he's good at, at, at making a pocket and, uh, and being, being simple and tasteful with his drumming, but can also take a solo when he needs to as well. So um, guitar players, um, man, I had a, a pretty lengthy list here. 
but I think I'm going to mention uh, one of my uh, one of my backup picks was the Honorable Jeff Tweedy of Wilco, who uh, again can bring vocals to the band, but is also a great guitar player. I mean, he writes most of Wilco's stuff on guitar, uh, but they can bass play. Player. Uncle Tiffany. That's right. He can do a lot, uh, but but he can play electric solos too. Now he doesn't need to take as many when you have Nels Klein standing six feet away from you, mm-hmm. but uh, uh, but he can he can do a lot. And so he was one of my backup guitar picks. Uh, bass. I, I know I mentioned Jimbo Hart as one I couldn't pick because I was taking just Jason Isbell uh, for guitar. So I'll mention Joe Dart, who is probably. You know, alongside Pino Palladino, one of my favorite living bass players. He's most famous for his work uh, with Wolfpack, uh, which is a, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, just go listen to a handful of their tracks. But funky, uh, pop, uh, soul music, I mean, and, and he's just a young dude. And he is just one of the greatest guys to listen to. He can do anything uh, on bass. And so, big fan of Joe Dart. And then my wild card pick um, I'll mention uh, Chris Thiele on mandolin. Again, this is kind of a, a folk rock, you know, rootsy music. And, um, you know, as far as living masters of their inter- instruments, he's probably at the pinnacle of mandolin players. And, you know, I know Ricky Skaggs is still living and he can do a lot. But but as far as, uh, you know, Chris Thiele has done classical music. He's done traditional bluegrass. He's done newgrass. And he's a, he's a good vocalist, too. And so that was important for me in this band, and that'll make more sense when I tell you what my song pick is. <laughs> Good deal. So, obviously, I, you know, I was building a certain type band. So, I was really torn between two singers. I went with Chris Cornell, but almost picked Eddie Vedder, specifically for the song that I'm going to have him play here in a minute. Uh, there is probably, they were, Pearl Jam was my favorite band from probably the early to mid-90s up until the early 2000s. And I always said they were my first favorite band in which it was something that I liked on my own outside of what my dad listened to. And I've always equated that to the first time you truly fall in love with a significant other. There's really nothing you love more and harder than that first musical artist that you fall in love with, especially in your teenage years. Uh... And he is just, you know, a great vocalist. He's often imitated, never duplicated. <coughs> Scott Stapp. Uh, and, uh, what about Adam Sandler? <laughs> <laughs> he probably did the best. He was probably the closest, yeah. Uh, but obviously everybody out there has to know who Pearl Jam is at this point. They're still going strong. Uh, one of the great live acts of all time, uh, thanks in large part to, to Eddie. But And uh, all my guitarists. It's cliche. I, I really considered Jimi Hendrix. He's widely considered one of, if not the greatest of all time, to do it. Uh, the only reason why I didn't go with him, I just felt Jack White fit better in the group I was assembling and for the song that I want to have them play. Uh, drummer, uh, actually only had one other backup, and I already talked about him. That's Taylor Hawkins. Just specifically for the group I was assembling and what I want to have them play. Uh a bassist that I uh, considered briefly but decided he he's a great bassist but not maybe necessarily in this style, Bob Crawford of the Avett Brothers. Uh, one of my, uh, he plays a lot of stand-up bass. A little bit electric as well. Just didn't mesh with what I was doing. 
and uh, my wild card almost picked him. Actually, at the last minute, decided not to on saxophone. Clarence Clemens, most famously from the E Street Band. Clarence. I really wanted to pick him. You could practice it, Clarence. And, you know, uh, Springsteen and the E Street Band, more so than maybe any other artist outside of the cars, is the music I was raised on. And you can, you know, read Bruce's biography that he wrote. He loved Clarence, and they had such chemistry together. And since his passing, it's never been the same. They're still great live, but if you ever got a chance to see the E Street Band live, when Bruce and Clarence were doing doing solos on the guitar and saxophone, it was magic. And later in this season of that one show, there will be an entire episode that I will be listening to devoted to the Bruce Springsteen album, Nebraska. Yeah, they are. And that's my favorite Springsteen album, and it so happenstance that Clarence Clemens isn't on that album. <laughs> but... Oh, but... You how much I but... Uh, uh, it's it's my favorite Springsteen album. We'll get to that later on. We have one order of business before we conclude today's show, and that is to get to our songs that our bands are playing. One song live on stage. I imagine that this is a festival with all three of our bands, just one right after another. Three songs, $999.99 plus convenience fees to get into this three-song concert. We'll start with Charles. To recap, he has on lead vocals David Bowie, Mick Jones on guitar, Jimmy Chamberlain on drums, Kim Deal on bass, and Mark O'Connor on anything he wanted to play, but more likely fiddle. So, your band, what are they playing for us to sing us out tonight, Charles? All right, so I guess the big question was, is Charles going to make reference to Wilco during this episode? And that answer would be yes. I'm, yes, I am. Not to interrupt you, but I think the biggest upset was that neither you or I picked any members from Wilco for our <laughs> bands here. So I'm glad you are at least picking a Wilco song. I showed a little restraint. Well, and here's the here's the thing. This is a little this is a little bit out there. It's it's not really a Wilco song, but I know you guys both being fans, you're gonna you're gonna know this reference, and I think hopefully appreciate it. Uh, so the song I'm picking for the band to play is a song called California Stars. Yes. Mm. California Stars. Yes. Was, I'll give a little history. I'm, listeners probably know this. It appeared on an album called Mermaid Avenue Volume 1, released in 1998, recorded by the uh, British uh, folk artist, singer-songwriter Billy Bragg and Wilco. Uh, Jeff Tweedy handles vocals on this. Now, the interesting story... The lyrics for this song and every song on that album and the subsequent uh, volumes two and three were penned by the legendary Woody Guthrie who influenced everybody that's written songs just about in the last century. So these lyrics to California Stars were found amongst a bunch of other lyrics and poems and writings that his, his daughter, Nora, and some other people uh, closely associated with the Guthrie family cataloged and made available to Billy Bragg, who asked Wilco to join them, uh, join him in uh, writing music, giving these songs life. So, uh, this, oh, and I should add this. So the lyrics were thought to have been written in the late 1930s. California Stars is a, a love song. 
I think I interpreted it that way, certainly, about somebody who's on the road traveling who is thinking about home. And I think that uh, Jeff Tweedy and Jay Bennett wrote the music. Uh, and like I said, Jeff sings that. And it's played at a lot of Wilco concerts. Actually, when I saw Wilco in, let's see, I saw them twice in 2017 when I saw them at the North Carolina show in Asheville. Uh, the, the young guitar virtuoso Julian Lodge joined them on stage and played a killer solo section. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why I picked this song. Because not only do I want to hear David Bowie sing this song, because I think he would absolutely uh, do a fantastic job, because this song was basically interpreted by Jeff Tweedy, Jay Bennett, it, it's not beholden to the original uh, person who wrote the lyrics. So our band here could take it in a totally different direction than what Wilco did. As much as I love that Wilco version, there, it's, a, it's like having like a, a clay, you know, a, di a, a different sculptor could take that clay and sculpt it into something entirely different, sounding totally different. And I feel like that these five individuals, if they assembled and, and got those lyrics that Woody those beautiful lyrics that Woody Guthrie penned, they could create something entirely new that we've not heard. And there, there is a violin. Part of the reason why I chose Mark O'Connor, there's a violin on that track. There's also a steel guitar on that track. So, yeah, part of me would like to hear Mick Jones try to play steel guitar. Mm -hmm. um, go ahead, Brian. Uh, I'll let Chase speak briefly on uh, California Stars because I know he's a Wilco fan as well. Uh, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I was thinking... As soon as you said that, I, I could totally hear David Bowie's voice on this song. Um, but I was also remembering, as you talked, Charles, that um, we, we saw a minor super group performance of this last September, Brian, when we saw Wilco perform in Des Moines, and they brought uh, the members of Trampled by Turtles up on stage oh. with them to perform uh, California yeah. Stars as the show closer. Absolutely. I think there were like 14 people <laughs> there playing. Yeah. Uh, let me add this, and, and I'm serious when I say this. When you... You know, announced California Stars. I, I legit was getting hot and bothered over here just imagining David Bowie and Kim Deal singing this song on harmonies. I, I, I mean, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna dream about that tonight. <laughs> but uh, before we move on to Chase, we'll go ahead for those maybe not necessarily familiar with that song, play a little bit of California Stars. Chase, what will they be playing for us tonight? So, 
there may not be any more iconic Americana folk rock band in history than the band. Mm. And anytime you see a super group form that has any kind of Americana folk rock leanings, they almost always play this song, which may be the most popular by the band. The song is The Wait from Music from the Big Pink. Uh, so uh, this song, it, it fits, I think, a super group because it has different vocalists on different verses and so all the members of my band except for Pino Palladino are vocalists themselves so I could just see Brandy Carlisle, Jason Isbell, Griffin Goldsmith and even Bruce Hornsby taking turns on the, voice, the verses and then singing in harmony on the chorus especially on that last bit of the chorus where it does like a three-part harmony mm. the session. Um, I think they could just crush this song. Um, you know, the song's been described as uh, by Quick Hits in 2012 as a masterpiece of biblical allusions, enigmatic lines, and iconic characters. And so it's just a fun song. One of the bands I play in now, we do this. It's a lot of fun. It's a crowd pleaser. And I think this group would just crush it. And then it has room for guitar solos and key solos in it. And, uh, man, it would just be a lot of fun to see this, this uh, five-piece outfit crush it on the way. Absolutely, and uh, I mean, ooh, just just thinking about them, you know, like you said, trading verses, then harmonizing, especially Carlisle and Isabel. Yeah, I would love, love to hear that. Uh, and I love many versions of that song. I mean, like you said, it's been covered a million times, but there's a lot of great versions of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, like you said, I agree with your sentiment that one of the quintessential uh, quote-unquote Americana bands is the band. And before we move on to Charles's thought, uh, if nobody has ever watched The Last Waltz, please do. It may be one of the, it may be the best, you know, captured live performances ever. And if you look close, you can actually see the cocaine falling out of Neil Young's nose when he comes out. If, now that they've, re- I'm not joking. Now that they've remastered it in high def, if you really look, you can see the, the coke residue on, on Neil Young's nose. Wow. But <laughs> 4K version only. Yeah. Charles, do you have any thoughts on the weight? It's an epic song. It's an epic song, and uh, that quote that Chase just read, wow, that just it beautifully captures what that song is. And, yeah, uh, just like, you know, I've been hearing David Bowie singing his version of California Stars, maybe a sci-fi alien version in my head for the last week. Now, like Brandy Carlisle singing the weight. I mean, yeah, let's, do, let's hear that. Absolutely. Let's do it. It'd be amazing. Here is the band with uh, an all-time great song, The Wait. Get your cannonball now to take me down the line. My bag is sinking low and I do believe it's Okay, we're back. Uh, before I recap my band and tell their song that they are going to play, I want to once again thank Chase Abner and Charles Hurl, two really good friends of mine, for sitting down over the last hour and change 
Uh, we've been going back and forth with this idea for a couple months now, and I know all three of us have put a lot of thought and prep into this show. It's been a really great show. I hope you all enjoy it. To recap my band, Chris Connell on vocals, Jack White on guitar, Dave Grohl on the drums, Flea Naked on bass, and on electric violin, Lindsey Sterling. And they will be closing today's show by playing the all-time classic Neil Young song, Keep On Rockin' in the Free World. Uh, and I love this song. The first time I ever heard this song was Neil Young and Pearl Jam way back in the day on the MTV Music Awards. And in my opinion, I guess close to 30 years later, that is the best performance on any award show ever, and I don't know if it will ever be topped. The thing is, at the time, Pearl Jam were maybe the biggest band on the planet, at least by sales. And they, instead of playing one of their hits, bring out Neil Young, who was a little older at the time, even though he was pretty much the age that all three of us are now. (laughs) And they, for like seven minutes, just absolutely murdered this song. The guitar playing by Neil Young and Mike McCready is just out of this world. Go to YouTube and just hear this version of it. And uh, I would love, you know, Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam have covered this song many times since in concert live. Lots of versions out there if you want to hear that. But I would love to hear Cornell sing this song. Uh, I would love Jack White to play the guitar wrist from it. Dave Grohl to beat out the drums. Flea to do his thing. And for Lindsey Sterling to absolutely destroy a violin. And probably have it definitely needed to be restringed at the end. Uh, do either of you all have thoughts before I play it to close today's show on Keep On Rocking in the Free World? I think this three-song concert it definitely has to be the closer. <laughs> for sure. Like, I mean, once that's played by these individuals, that's the end of the show. That's just that's like everybody's going to go home with a big smile on their face after seeing three amazing songs performed by legends. And, yeah, that's another epic song. A lot of energy. It's great. the definitive version but if anybody could give it a run for its money it would be this five piece that you've assembled so uh, I would love to hear it I'm paid to hear it and uh, since you mentioned Neil Young I will say one of the songs that I also consider just because it's a little bit darker but would love to see my group jam on is Cortez the Killer Yeah, (laughs) but but I love your pick man you did a great job alright once again thank you both for joining us today this has been the debut episode of season two and closing us out is Mr. Neil Young and Pearl Jam from the MTV Music Awards way back in the early 90s with Keep On Rockin' in the Free World.
That One Show with Brian Combs is brought to you by Thatcher Barbecue Company and is written, produced, and recorded by me, Brian Combs. You can look me up on social media, on Twitter, at That One Show BC, on Instagram, at That One Show with Brian Combs, on Facebook, at That One Show Podcast, and on Patreon, at That One Show. So go follow us along on any of those sites, and please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, whichever you prefer. And finally, if you are enjoying this show, I ask from the bottom of my heart that you recommend it to at least one other person with whom you feel would enjoy it as well. Until next time, this has been That One Show with Brian Combs. <laughs>